0: Thank you, Brother Steve. We could just about say amen and go home. Just about. (laughs) I heard them amens. Listen, let me see if y'all are still awake. Y'all are a little bit quieter than last night and the night before. I know we've been here several times in the last few days, but I need you to be awake at least for another couple hours, okay? So I need to know for sure you're with me. So what I want you to do, I'm going to make a statement. And then I want you to give me your loudest, most heartfelt amen. This is the day that the Lord hath made. Let us rejoice and be glad in it. Would you agree? Amen. All right. That's about half of you. The rest of you will get awake before we get through. What a wonderful week we've had here at the Risa Baptist Church in Revival. If you have not been with us the whole time, that's all right. I am big on review. You know, studies show that you have to hear something about seven times for it to really sink in. For most of us, it's about 70 times. I don't have that many times to say these things to you, so hopefully we can get them in at least seven times. And with a little bit of review, a little bit of repetition, no matter whether you've been here every night or not, we can be on the same page. So as we move forward in that, just sort of keep in mind, I'm reviewing, that the first hour is just the, the introduction, just just hang tight, we'll get to new stuff. No, we're not going to go through all that tonight, but I've got to tell you, it has been good, but even I myself am starting to get a little bit worn down. So I know you must be. I know you must be. You're not up here preaching like me, but you're getting up, going to work, taking care of normal responsibilities, and then showing up here at church every night. And God bless you for it. But there's one little exercise that we're going to do, and then I promise, no more exercises except for you listening. But, you know, I have found that this works at Antioch really well, and people end up smiling bigger, paying attention better, and seem to just feel good once they're done doing it. Now, what I want you to do, I'm going to count to three. And when I'm done counting to three, I want you to just go, (sighs) just a big one, just let out all that negative energy. I don't believe in that junk, but let's do it anyway. Um, We're going to do it on three, just a big old sigh, and just you ain't going to believe how much better you're going to feel. Are you ready? One, two, three. (sighs) All right, good, woof <laughs> Wow, what'd y'all eat? I'm picking at you, listen. I'm telling you it's been good, and I'll get to the point here in a minute, but I want to thank the deacons and their wives tonight for a wonderful meal out at the Golden Corral. We enjoyed that. Uh, I did look at one of the deacons. I will leave him nameless Stan. and um and his his wife wasn't with him. Linda wasn't there, and i didn't I didn't even get a chance to ask. I looked over like, what why an empty chair?" And he finally said, he said, you know, Linda was coming, but she came in one of them duck skirts, so I sent her back home to change. (laughs) Now, Linda, just remember, Stan did say that, not me. Uh, But, uh, you know, it's funny. We, We actually got a lot of comments on the message last night. We even had one of the teachers from the high school call and say, listen, did they record that? Because one of my kids came to school today talking about the message. Well, that's a beautiful thing, isn't it? I hope it just spreads and spreads and spreads. But I do know for a fact that one thing that stuck according to Facebook was the duck skirt joke. So if you weren't here last night, shame on you. I ain't telling it Again, I can't believe I told it last night, to be quite honest with you. But um, I've got to tell you, it is an honor to be here in Herbert Brown's pulpit. I have ragged him every night, but I mean it with the, all I am. He is such a wonderful friend, mentor, and brother in Christ. And he's just an incredible pastor. And if you've missed that... You have not been paying attention. But, you know, he's been here, what, 35 years now, right? Almost 35 years. That's amazing. I'm almost 35 years old. and um, <laughs> Okay, I'm 45. But anyway, he's been here about 35 years now. And, you know, I've heard lots of stories about Herbert Brown over the years, but I think one of my favorite involves his beloved secretary, who really makes him look good. She makes you shine, Herbert, because she is so organized. She's got her stuff together, Miss Fran. And a guy called here one day. She picks up the phone in that wonderful, pleasant voice. As always, Theresa Baptist Church, how may I help you? And this fella says, I want to speak to the head hog at the trough. She says, I beg your pardon? He said it again. I want to speak to the head hog at the trough. She says, well, sir... If you are talking about our pastor, we love him and we respect him around here. And if you want to talk to our pastor, you're going to ask for Reverend Brown or Pastor Brown or at least Herbert. He said, well, all right, fine. He said, I won't bother you no more. I was calling to give $25,000 to the building fund, but okay. (laughs) Fran, without skipping a beat, she says, I think the old pig just came in. But other than that, she respects you as well as the rest of this community, brother. And I'll tell you, if somebody calls our church, going to give 25000 they can call me what they want. But we're going to talk about respect tonight. But before we get to respect tonight, it's important that we do review a bit. We started on Sunday morning with, my opinion, the most important thing. Revival services happen all the time, but a lot of times they're just services and no revival comes from them. We know it's true. You've been a part of that many times in your life where you've gone to services night after night after night and you kept waiting for something to happen and it didn't happen. Partly because we didn't understand what it was all about. Folks, revival in the dictionary says to revive. That doesn't mean much. It's just repeating the same thing, right? But it means to breathe new life into something that is dead or dying. And in order to do that, we've got to figure out what it is that's dead or dying so that we can breathe new life into it. So we began to talk about the fact that there were five fallen comrades that were either completely dead or at least on their deathbed and close to dying that we needed to revive and to see changed in our nation, in our lives, our homes, and all over the world. And those five things were righteousness, restraint, respect, responsibility, and reason. Let me go through them again and you think through that and you tell me if you would agree that they're either dead or dying in our society today. Righteousness, which is holiness, being right, By God's definition. Restraint. Being able to have some self control, which is, in fact, a fruit of the Spirit or part of the fruit of the Spirit. Respect. What is that anymore? We don't even know how to define that anymore because it doesn't exist. Responsibility. We have made our new national pastime passing the buck. It's no longer baseball or anything else. It's trying to figure out who to blame for what's going on when we're the ones who are responsible. And finally, reason, also known as common sense. They are all dead or at least very close to dying. And we need to understand that they're all dying because they've been hit by the same disease. And that's where we started on Sunday morning. They are dying because we no longer have any kind of relationship with God, our sovereign Creator, or if we do, it's a very surface relationship where all He gets is the leftovers. What's there when we're done doing whatever else we want to do? We don't give Him the best of who we are and the best of we have anymore, and we don't focus on an intimate, close relationship with the Father. And I'm here to tell you, if you miss that, you've missed the entire purpose of your existence. I have told you night after night, beginning on Sunday evening, that if you don't have a close relationship with God, you have missed the whole duty of man. How do I know that? It's what the Word says. Ecclesiastes twelve thirteen. King Solomon, the wisest man to ever live, says this, This is the whole duty of man, to fear God and to keep His commandments. And that fear, that word fear meant to love, to respect, to have a relationship with, to have that understanding of who He is and to walk with Him and then to keep His commandments. We've wondered for decades, for centuries, ever since man has been thinking, why am I here? It's right there in Ecclesiastes twelve thirteen. He says, this is the end of the whole matter. This is the conclusion of it all. You are here, we are here to have a relationship with God and to keep His commandments just to enter into that relationship and to stay close to Him. And because we have drifted further and further and further away from God in a relationship with Him as His kids, there's no more connection. All five of these fallen comrades are now about to die or either already dead. How sad. But we determined that, you know what, if it's that important that we have a relationship with Him, if Jesus said it was the number one command to love the Lord your God with all your heart, your mind, your soul, and your strength in Matthew 22, 37, and 38, then I better get it right. And so I hope that you determined on Sunday morning, or if you haven't been here and that's the first time you heard it, I hope that you determined tonight to breathe new life into your relationship with God first and foremost, because without that, nothing else is going to fit. Nothing else is going to work. Nothing else is going to matter. I promise you that is foundational for the rest of your life. And if you're not doing that, you are just spending time. But if you will develop a close relationship with the Father in heaven who loves you intimately, so much so He sent His only begotten Son to die for you, I promise you He's going to take care of everything else. And I promise you that if you do that, you're going to care so deeply about righteousness, restraint, respect, responsibility, and reason that they'll come back to life and we'll turn this world on its ear. But I also promise you that most of you will not change one iota after this revival set of services because it just doesn't matter that much to you. Folks, if it ever was going to matter, it should be now. And if anyone should have taken this to heart, it should be God's kids. So I pray that this is not just a set of services. I pray, if nothing else, you'll get closer to God if you do. The rest of these things are going to come back to life. I am glad that the first time we were together on Sunday night and we started talking about these fallen comrades, after we'd eradicated that disease of poor relationship with God, that you decided not to bury righteousness. You told me by your actions, by the amens, by the nods of the head, by coming to the altar and praying and recommitting yourself to God and His righteousness that you wanted righteousness to live. I pray that that still exists in you as strongly as it did Sunday night. Because God said, Be ye holy, for I am holy. We read that in Leviticus 11. We went through that passage. We went and saw it restated in 1 Peter chapter 1, that He said, Be ye holy. Be righteous as I am holy. And again, righteousness is real simple. It doesn't have to get complicated. It is simply being and doing right by God's definition. How do we know what that is? Right here. Right here. You've got it right here in black and white. It ain't changed in all the history of man. And it won't change. Because God's the same yesterday, today, and forever, and so is His truth. It will not change, or it was not truth. You get that? But we can know what is right, and we can be what is right, and confirm it with this wonderful love letter that He gave us. He says, I love you. Here's what I expect of you. This is what's right. This is what's wrong. You can also make sure that you're doing that by begging Him for it. What did David say in Psalm 51? Create in me a clean heart and renew within me a right spirit. Beg God to help you know what's right and to be what's right and to do what's right. But beyond that, I encourage you to join the James 4 Club. We don't have time to go through all that again tonight. But in the James 4, we find in there that there are things that we could do. Things like submitting ourselves to a holy God. Why would we not want to submit ourselves to the One who has all the answers, who knows all that is coming, and has already worked it all out to our glory, good and bad? Why wouldn't we want to submit to Him? We submit to Him. Then we resist the devil. Well, that's a lot easier than it sounds. All we have to do when the devil dangles that carrot in front of us is say, nope, it looks good. It really does. You're tempting me and that's nice. But there's something better over here because God said, I should not. We have to refrain from doing those things. Resist the devil. And then he says, just draw nigh unto me. Draw near unto me and I'll draw near unto you. It's just like any other relationship. You spend time with them. You get closer and closer to them, they're going to get closer and closer to you. God promises that in James 4. And then He says, repent, cleanse your heart and your hands. Cleanse the actions that you're committing in the outward appearance and cleanse your heart, which is the overflow, which becomes what you do with the physical. He says, cleanse that stuff, repent of this, and draw near to me in humility. So we breathe new life into righteousness. And then we moved on last night into the word restraint. Restraint was all but dead. But you said last night, in droves you said last night, I will exercise more self-control. And we've got to. Self-control is killing us. I shared with you statistics last night that should have made your toenails curl. One in four teens have an STD. 14,827 people were murdered in the United States last year, more than any other developed country. We waste 20 pounds of food per month per person. Unbelievable. 40% of our food supply is just being thrown away. And 69% of our nation is either overweight clinically or obese. Gosh, when you think about those things, you've got to admit there's no more self-control. There's no self-restraint. Those are so of a lack of self-control and it's unacceptable we read proverbs 25:28 that says a man that cannot control his own spirit a man without self-control and that includes you too ladies those who don't have restraint are about as good as a city that's broken down with no walls well what is a city broken down with no walls it's junk it's a pile of garbage. It's rubble. And that's what we are. Useless in God's hands without self-control and restraint. Because without restraint as His children, if we're just going out doing anything and everything and looking like the rest of the world, what motivation do they have to follow us to the cross? What a shame. It's unacceptable. Proverbs twenty-nine, eighteen: Where there is no vision, that meaning direction or focus on God, people cast off all restraint. When that happens, God is displeased. And I mentioned to you from Galatians 5.23, for crying out loud, this is part of the fruit of the Spirit. If the Spirit indwells you, He has given you enough self-control and restraint to be able to face any temptation that's out there. Didn't I read that to you from 1 Corinthians 10.13? No temptation has befallen man except that which is common to all. And God will not let you be tempted above that which you can resist or have a way out of. That's God, not me. He's saying you have not been tempted more than you can handle. You just get to that breaking point and decide you don't want to handle it and you just fall headlong into it. We've got to do better. The world is looking on for a reason to discredit the church and ridicule the name of Jesus Christ, and we're giving them plenty of ammunition. We have got to stop I shared with you a statistic last night that blew my mind when I read it. I said that, you know, in this nation, 60% of all men over 20 years of age who are married have had an affair or are headed headlong into one, and 40% of ladies are doing the same thing. Unbelievable. We've got to change so that the world can look onto the church and see something different and want to be a part of it. Right now we look like the rest of them or worse, and that's bad. We can't do that. Because it's keeping people out of these walls and it's keeping them away from Jesus. Now, it will not be a steady defense when they stand before Him. And we're going to talk about that tomorrow as we talk about responsibility. We will all stand before God and give an account for ourselves and ourselves alone. We won't get to pass the buck to somebody else and say, I didn't go to church and I didn't get saved because sister so-and-so was so sorry. But what a shame if they can use you and honestly say sister so-and-so was so sorry or brother so-and-so, a deacon in the church, was just garbage. What a shame if we can't get a hold on self-restraint. I pray that last night you recognized the way to do that was to tame it just like the wild beast it is. And just finally, once and for all, say, you know what, I've got nothing from temptation except for heartache and pain. It's just tore me up inside and given me a guilt-ridden conscience. I'm ready to start start saying no to those false promises of the devil and saying hello to the things that God has for me that are far, far better. Because God has never broken a promise to you. He told you, if you do this, I'll do this. He's always done it. It's time for us to get to a point where we've got more self-control and we're letting that part of the fruit of the Spirit shine through us and it'll make all the difference in the world. I share with you so many examples, but we did a case study real quickly in King David's life when he saw Bathsheba, baby naked on the roof. He decided he wanted her. He said, who is it? Bring her to me. He lay with her. He had sex with the lady, somebody else's wife. He already knew it was Uriah's wife. And since he wanted her, he took her. No self-control, no restraint, and she ends up pregnant. So he starts the first and biggest government cover-up, and he says, okay, bring Uriah back real quick. And he gives Uriah this fancy meal to go be with his wife, and Uriah said, nope, not going to do it. I'm not going to go and have fun with my wife and have this meal while my men are out there risking their lives for your kingdom." And so then David says, okay, I'll try getting him drunk. He tried that. That didn't work. In the end, he signed Uriah's death warrant, sent him to the hottest part of the battle, and he was killed. And then he took the man's wife. He said, well, he made it official then. No, he didn't. He just made it worse. It was an awful scenario, and it ended in God's judgment. He failed miserably in the realm of self-control. But then we looked at Joseph. We dropped back to Genesis 39, and we looked at the life of Joseph. He had been taken, thrown in a pit by his brothers who were jealous of him. And boy, jealousy is a big one that I wish I had put into the messages this week. But maybe three years from now when they invite me back, I'll preach another that. <laughs> but they threw him in a pit just because of sheer jealousy. And then they realized, oh, wait a minute, I can make a dollar or two on him. So they sold him for 20 pieces of silver at the cost of a slave to the Ishmaelites. The Ishmaelites sell him to Potiphar, who was the captain of the guard for the Pharaoh in Egypt. He's used there as a slave, as a servant, but he does such a good job. As I said, he bloomed where he was planted in a horrible circumstance, just as you should be doing. You may not be where you want to be right now, you might not have climbed the ladder like you wanted to, but wherever you are, it's no mistake. God knew it was coming, and He can use you where you are. And if you, like Joseph, will work and to, work to glorify God, do everything as unto the Lord, He will bless you. And so He blessed Joseph until he was in charge of everything. Man, Potiphar didn't even know what he had except for the bread he was eating right there in front of him. He trusted Joseph that much. He had blessed him that much, put him in charge, made him the man. El Potiphar's wife comes up and says she turned her eyes towards him. Just means she was lusting after this old boy. She saw her a young, strapping Hebrew man, and she thought, okay, forbidden fruit, I want him. She tries to make a move on him, and what does he do? I love it—the picture of control and restraint. He says, "Nope. How in the world could I do this to your husband, who's entrusted me with so much? He's entrusted me with everything but you, because you're his wife." I'm not going to do this. And then he goes on to say something that I love. He said, but more so, how in the world could I sin so against God? He understood holiness. He was breathing life into righteousness. He was worried about sinning against God, and he says, no, ma'am, no thank you. Well, he takes off, and what does that do? It makes her want him just that much more. And so she devises a plan to catch him alone, and she tries again, and he takes off, she rips a piece of the garment. Well, then she's really mad because she couldn't get what she wants. And ladies, let's face it, y'all want what you want. She couldn't get him. She was real upset then. So she makes up this story about how he had tried to take her and, and discredit her honor and all this. What a liar. But they, I wish I'd have put lying in this series too, maybe in three years. But anyway, but anyway he tr- she trumps up this story. He gets thrown in jail. But what happens? At the end of the passage, he had been the one who had done right. He showed restraint, self-control. He let the Spirit work through him. It shined. He had so much self-control. And what happens in the end, even though he's in prison, he's put in charge of everything. And it said, the Lord blessed everything that Joseph did. So in those case studies, I asked you simply when we got done, are you going to, in that context, pull a David, or are you going to pull a Joseph? Are you going to be those that breathe new life into restraint because you decide to show some? Or are you going to keep on doing like you're doing and give in to the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and do just whatever you want to do and keep embarrassing the name of Jesus Christ? I hope you were sincere when you yelled amen and said all kinds of other things when I said, I hope you'll pull a Joseph. Now, we know David repented. We know he got back right with the Lord. And we're going to talk about that again tomorrow night. Read the rest of Psalm 51. But be sure you understand that you need to be begging for righteousness you need to be living in righteousness as God commanded it. You need to join that James 4 club. And you also need to be more like Joseph and show some self-control. And how do we do that ultimately? We make sure our focus is right. If you are focused on Jesus Christ regularly and fully, you're going to have a lot more strength to stand against the wilds of the devil. I read to you Hebrews twelve two, "...looking unto Jesus the author and the finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before Him endured the cross." despising the shame, and is set down at the right hand of the throne of God. That is what we need to be focused on. Looking to the author and the finisher of our faith, we ought to out. All we can see is the cross of Christ and what He did on it for us. And with all our hearts, with all our strength, with all our soul, with all of our members, be so focused on that that what we do looks like Christ. If we'll do those things, we've breathed new life into righteousness, And a restraint. But tonight we move into a new and sadly fallen comrade. We mourn and hope to revive tonight respect. A dear friend that we haven't seen in years. Who earned us God's favor and so much more. Well, respect used to be popular in our homes when it came to kids and their parents. You respected your parents. That used to be the way it was, wasn't it? That's the exception to the rule now, not the norm. It used to be that there was a great deal of respect in our churches. And now, as I said last night, people will come in wearing anything and everything. No longer wearing their best. Listen, I know there's exceptions when you have to come in from work and you have to decide either I'm going to come in work clothes or I don't get to come at all. I get that. But that should be the exception. This is the house of God. And there used to be respect for it. I watch people come in the church now dressed any old way. I told you last night, people ask often, what is the dress code out there at Antioch? Covered. Come covered. But some of them can't even do that. They come in showing so much flesh, it's no wonder that other people are sitting in there being tempted left and right. Because the way God created us men is that we are visually stimulated. And it's such a shame. Not only that, we see them coming in with all kinds of garbage on their T-shirts. We see them coming in just deaf, just disheveled, not looking like they should in the house of God. It's just a lack of respect. I see them come in with 20-ounce Mountain Dews and snacks. It just drives me nuts. Man, you ain't coming to a movie. We don't get up here and preach to entertain you. We get up here to enlighten you. And if you're too worried about your stomach for one hour, that you've got to have a 20-ounce Mountain Dew and a bag of Funyun, something's wrong. Get up, meet, before you come to God's house. Show a little respect. It doesn't doesn't exist anymore, though. And, you know, there really used to be a respect towards God, didn't there? I can tell you now, there's some awful, awful things being said and done to defame our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. There are shows on Cartoon Network. Yes, I said Cartoon Network now that talk about Jesus and portray Jesus as the worst there ever was. There are album covers that have pictures of Jesus thugged out and all kinds of defaming, despicable things. Several years ago, there was a piece of art that was real controversial. It was a jar of urine with a cross with Jesus hanging on it right in the middle of the jar. And they called it art. I call it despicable and straight from the pit of hell. It used to be there was some respect, at least for God, if nothing else. But I'm telling you, it's dying, if not dead. Let's hope there's at least one breath left. You know, respect even used to be popular in our pop culture, even in the secular world. Remember a song in 1965 by one of the greats, Otis Redding? Man, that rascal could write and sing. Man, that's when music was still music. Out of this garbage we got now. But anyway, maybe I'm just old-fashioned. I don't know. But in 1965, old Otis Redden wrote and sung a song, recorded it for the first time, R-E-S-P-E-C-T. Man, if I couldn't spell but one word when I went to school, it was R-E-S-P-E-C-T. I knew how to spell respect. Boy, then old Aretha, oh my goodness, she got that thing and she took it to another level in 1967. Her version of that song, R-E-S-P-E-C-T, became one of the top 500 songs of all time. Man, that was a cool song. And what it was was when Otis sang it, he was demanding and asking for respect from his woman. He said, look, I'll trust you. You can trust me. It's all going to be good. But when it comes to respect, sock it to me, baby. Give it to me. I'm going to get When I come home, I want a little respect. Well, then Aretha flipped that thing because she thought, now, wait a minute now. Most of us women respect these men. We deserve a little respect too. You know, this was the 60s. Y'all got to remember. Women were coming in their own and realizing, hey, we deserve a little respect around here too. So Aretha, she just laid tracks on that thing. She said, socket to me, socket to me, sock it to me. Give me that R-E-S-P-E-C-T. And again, top 500 songs of all time. That song is now rarely played, and that virtue is more rarely displayed. Respect is dead and dying. But like Aretha and Otis in that song, God and humanity deserve respect. I'd submit to you tonight that God demands it. Not only does He deserve it, I would submit to you He demands it. What is it, though? See, that's the problem. If we don't define things correctly, we sure ain't going to get it right. So what is respect? If I were to ask every one of you in here tonight, what is respect? You'd give me something close to this, but probably never hit on it. Here's a good working definition. Respect is to treat well according to one's worth. Think about that to treat well according to one's worth. The people and the things that we show the most respect for are the ones that are worth the most to us, right? That's a good working definition of respect, to treat well according to one's worth. And as with all things, when it comes to breathing life into respect, I want you to look at Proverbs nine ten because we have to begin with God. Because I would tell you this, if you can't respect a holy and sovereign God who is perfect in every way, you can't expect yourself or anyone else to respect anything or anyone else. So let's start right there at the beginning. Proverbs 9:10 is something that is probably fairly familiar to you, but it says this in the King James: "The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom, and the knowledge of the holy is understanding." Let me read that again. Some of you are just getting there. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom, and the knowledge of the holy is understanding." Well, I like digging into the original languages because I'll tell you, of all the languages I've studied, English is the worst. It really is. Greek is awesome. Hebrew is awesome. Some of these other languages. But they say so much more than we get in just an English translation. So that word fear is the word yare. It comes straight from Hebrew and it means respect. No surprise. That's why I picked it. So let me read it again. The respect of the Lord is the beginning. That word beginning meaning foundation. The respect of the Lord is the foundation of wisdom. And knowledge of the Holy, and literally out of that translation, knowledge of the Holy One is understanding. All right, so you want today's translation, how that applies right now? In other words, if you don't have a proper R-E-S-P-E-C-T, For God Almighty, you are stupid. I said it, I meant it, and you better grab a hold to it. And the reason I said it that way is I hope I make you mad. But I'm telling you, if you don't give God the proper respect, you are an ignoramus. You are stupid. What are you thinking? Nobody wants to be called that, but that's what it says. The respect of the Lord is the beginning, the foundation of wisdom, and knowledge of the Holy One is understanding. So if we miss that, we're just being dummies. Y'all don't look like dummies to me. Y'all are a bunch of smart folks. I'm not saying it to flatter you. I love you. I believe that. Dummies don't get as far in life as you've gotten. But I'll tell you, if we miss this one, we really are being stupid. So understand that we need to start with this thing called respect with a holy and sovereign God who's perfect in every way. If we look at that definition again and we say to treat one well according to their worth, what does that say we think God's worth by the way we're treating Him? I'll tell you the answer. By the way the church has been acting over the past few decades, In fact, I'd take it all the way back to the 60s as there's been a steady decline. I think the way we've been treating the Lord says we don't think very much of Him at all. We don't feel like He's worth very much because we're not giving Him the respect that He deserves. Think about it. We've thumbed our noses for years. We, me and you, the church. Not those folks outside that don't know any better and don't have a moral compass. We the church have thumbed our noses for years at God and his commands, at God and his creation, at God and his desires for us and for humanity in general. We've shown such disrespect that it's showing the world that you know, ain't no need for me to respect him, his own kids don't. We gotta fix that, don't we? We're the ones killing it, shooting it right in the foot. We've got to do better. Boy, doesn't that bring us back full circle to where we've been all week? To Ecclesiastes twelve thirteen and Matthew twenty two. The whole duty of man is to fear God and keep His commandments. That word fear. Guess what? Same word. Yare. Respect. The whole duty of man is to respect and have a relationship with God, and we've missed it. We've blown it. And so the world gets on the bandwagon. They figure if we can disrespect Him so, why not us? And of course, they've got to amp it up a little bit, but disrespect is disrespect no matter what the volume. It is our whole duty to love and respect Him. And when we fail at this, we have failed completely, or at least by what I can read here. So what is the fact that God, who created you, Split the Red Sea and raise the dead, including you and me, worth to you? Ask yourself that question. What is God worth to you? Where does He fall in your list of priorities? How do you respect His commands? For me, it's worth everything. For me, it's worth a whole lot of R-E-S-P-E-C-T man, I just want to sock it to him, sock it to him, sock it to him. I hope you feel the same because we ain't been getting it right. And if we could get this right, I think maybe we could pick up the second half of Matthew twenty-two thirty-eight 38 through 40. I haven't mentioned it really the rest of the week, but how did Jesus finish that as he's talking to those holy rollers of the day? They say, Master, what's the greatest commandment in all the law? He says, Love the Lord your God with your, all your heart, all your soul, all your mind, all your strength. And the second one's like unto it. Boy, isn't that just like God? He gives you a little bit of extra, more than what you ask for. Boy, that's blessings. That's grace. as brother Steve talked about earlier. Something we don't deserve. But he said the second one is like unto it: love your neighbor as yourself. That ain't the folks that live next to you. I've read the book. I've looked up that word. It means everybody that you get around. Everybody, no matter what color they are. Don't matter what they look like. Don't matter if you've got common views. It means you love them like you'd love yourself. But you know what? One of the big problems there is we don't respect ourselves. you better got to recognize this right now. God didn't make no junk. You are priceless in the sight of the sovereign God of the universe. He loved you so much. If you'd been the only one, I believe with all my heart, He'd have still sent Jesus to that cross to die for you. You are priceless. You need to respect yourself. And then you're supposed to love and respect the rest of humanity just like that. You see, we're not respecting humanity at all. Look around you. We have such a disdain for life. Even if we claim to love the Creator and respect the Creator, we're certainly not loving His creation and respecting His creation as we should be. We've blown it. We've got to love humans. They are the pinnacle of the Creator's creation. All were created in whose image? Do you really think that person that you hate and despise so much because they are a little different than you was not created in God's image? He said, let us create man. That word was mankind, all of mankind in our own image, talking about the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. These people around you, Christian and non, were created in God's image. He didn't make no junk. And they are all brought here because God allowed it to happen for a purpose. And I can tell you this, I don't care how bad the sinner I don't care how mean the Spirit, no one is beyond the redemption that Jesus Christ offered on the cross. God so loved the world that He sent His only begotten Son that whosoever believeth in Him should not perish but have everlasting life. Anybody can be redeemed. That word whosoever is pas, P-A-S, and it means anybody, all of them, every last one of them if that's what they choose. And we need to start respecting that I read a story today in preparation for tonight. I don't know if it's a true story or not. It was told as a true story. But a man was about to take the pastorship of a church of about 10,000 people. Now, can you imagine that, Herbert? Golly, 10,000 people. Man, I I can't figure out how to keep running around and and looking after the ones I got. But 10,000 people. And so the first day that he's about to be announced, he shows up and he is dressed up like a homeless person. I mean, he is decked out. He's smelly. The whole deal. He walks in and he starts trying to talk to people at the door and they won't really talk to him. He finally makes his way up front and he sits up front and some of the ushers come and say, Look, can you please sit in the back? No real reason they just ask him to sit in the back. And he said out of 10,000 people, only three of those folks shook his hand and spoke to him. When it's time to announce the new pastor, one of the elders who was in on this charade gets up in the pulpit and he asks the pastor to come forward. Well, this so-called homeless man walks down that long aisle and he walks up there and he shakes the elder's hand and he says, Thank you, Elder Jones. He stands in the pulpit. He said, You know, I've been called to pastor a church, but I've not seen the church yet. I've seen a congregation full of people that are here meeting, claiming to be Christians, but I only met three that even came close to fitting the bill of looking like Christ. Because you looked at me and you saw something different. And you immediately labeled me refuse, garbage, unworthy, unredeemable. And he said, if you want me to stay, you need to determine whether you're going to be the gospel in action or just come and hear the gospel. And I don't know if that story is true or not, but if it was, it says that those folks went on to start crying and weeping and they immediately had an invitation where most of the people came down and thousands got saved. Unbelievable that we look at humanity, we automatically label them say, I don't know. But because we so disrespect the Creator, it's no wonder we disrespect the pinnacle of His creation. We have become the worst offenders in the world at extinguishing life, what the Creator brought about. I told you last night, I repeated it tonight. In America in 2013, 14,827 violent murders more than any other developed country in the world. And that's according to the FBI. And what about this one? Well, this is a touchy subject, but I'm just going to give it to you. 1,860,000 little lives were aborted in 2013 here in America as well. And folks, listen, even if you feel like abortion is all right in the case of rape or incest, understand that I didn't include those in the numbers. I just gave you abortion statistics where people aborted human life in one year for the sake of convenience. Now, I'm not an ogre. I believe a woman has a right to choose. But I think that right happens before she has intercourse, not after. Restraint? Ringing any bells? There's a way to stop these unwanted pregnancies. We need to start spouting that out too. They're learning on the bathroom walls instead of the church and home. That's why it's happening. But we allowed it. We allowed it. our country allowed almost two million babies, life that is precious to God to be extinguished. Why? Because we don't respect the creation. Because we don't respect the creator. We've royally messed that one up. It is high time that we began living by the golden rule. Where is that at? Matthew seven twelve. Luke six thirty one. What does it say? I mean you don't even have to go there. You know what it says. Do unto others as you'd have them do unto you. Now, Matthew and Luke both say it in much more flowery language. Repeated in First Peter two seventeen. I love this. First one. 1 Peter two seventeen says, "Honor all men." you know what that is? Respect. That's the word. So respect all men, every one of them, love the brotherhood. That's me and you. We're family. We don't call each other brother and sister just for the fun of it. We are blood kin through the blood of Jesus Christ. And we're supposed to love and respect and honor those folks too. In fact, the Bible says give preference to the family. Well, you're going to do that anyway, or you should. But it says, respect all men, love the brotherhood, fear God. Hey, there's that word again. It means respect, honor the king, or in other words, authorities. Folks, I'm not saying that we have to agree with wrong. Sin is still sin, and we are to stand against it. Those are not the differences I'm talking about. I'm just saying that we need to respect other human beings that might be a little different than us in some way as human beings that God loves and can redeem. And if we treat them with a little bit of respect, there may be more opportunity for them to find Jesus Christ. But if we keep treating them like garbage, they don't want anything to do with us or the Christ we represent. You get that? This is critical. We're killing Christianity with a lack of respect for humanity. We're embarrassing it. We know better. And if you didn't, you do now. What I'm saying is we must decide tonight. Whether we will bury respect, this thing that brought us so much blessings. Are we going to bury respect or are we going to decide to breathe new life into it by again treating our Creator as if He is worth everything to us? Doing what He's asked us to do, not doing what He's asked us not to do. Following Him with all our heart and soul, developing that relationship, showing Him that we want to treat Him right because of His worth. And are we going to do that for others? And will we teach the next generation to do the same? I think we've failed miserably in that regard. There's a whole generation of young people who don't respect anything, don't wonder why they're sleeping around because they have no self respect, and to them it's just another thing to do to try to gain some, to try to find some value in someone else's arms or someone else's bed. It's our fault. Help them to understand who they are to God. And to learn to respect themselves. Make them respect you. Listen, I've got two good boys, but I'm going to tell you what. If they disrespect their mother, even the slightest I am on them, man, I don't tolerate it. But I listen to children all the time who talk to their moms and dads as if they're in charge, as if they're running the household, as if they're dogs. We've got to teach them that respect is important towards God and towards all other authorities and towards all men. I just read it to you from Second Peter. I didn't make it up. We've got to teach them that. And if we do, I just read about a study in Georgia that says that treating people with respect is contagious. Now, I'm not real sure how they figured that out. But they published their findings saying that treating people with respect was actually contagious and that as you treat somebody with respect, guess what? They're going to return it. Case in point. I remember working at the VA hospital many years ago. I was in the x-ray department, and there was a guy in there because I was at the VA hospital. He had been a Navy sailor, and let me tell you, he learned the Navy vocabulary. Really, I mean, he did. He knew words I didn't know existed, and, you know, I, I went to Pearson High School. Oh, wait a minute, it's Pearson, right? And I heard plenty, plenty of words, plenty of words. But, I mean, he knew some cuss words. He knew some profanity. And he was just a virtuoso with profanity. He could just lay them out and be so poetic with it. It was actually pretty disgusting and filthy, really. But he'd do it anywhere, anyhow. And finally, I looked at him one day, and I wasn't ugly to him. I said, you know, friend, I I know that that is probably a habit for you, and I'm not trying to be condescending or holier than thou, but that really bugs me. It really bothers me because I just don't think those things are right to say. It just shows such disrespect for our patients and for those around us. And I know you don't mean nothing by it, but I just really don't like that. Well, he got mad as fire at me and cussed me out. I heard some new ones that day. It's all right. You know what I did to that fellow, man? I made it my point. to be. He'd be one of the first ones I'd see in the morning. i said, say, hey, Bob, how you doing, man? And it took a while, but I'd do that. If I had a little extra piece of cake, and my wife can cook, y'all, it's a wonder I don't look like a Baptist preacher, but I'd take an extra piece of cake or something, and I'd say, Bob, I, I can't eat this, man. You want this? I kept doing those little things. I showed that man respect in every way I knew how as a human being. And because of the fact that he was older than I, I showed him respect. Because he had so much wisdom about the field we worked in, I showed him respect. And you know what? It got to a point where he'd be in there, and he'd be cussing away. I'd walk in the room, and he'd stop he stopped. Praise the Lord. I respected him. He started respecting me. And you know what? That fellow saved now. Hallelujah. He showed up at my pastoral ordination and stood and spoke. Unbelievable. It is contagious. If we do it, other people would do it too. And we might just start a trend. You know, we all worried about Ebola. I don't want to catch that stuff. I don't. But I want to catch this. I want to catch respect, and it's the one thing that we could all catch if we want it to survive and thrive. So here's the invitation. Here's the invitation. Listen closely. If you have been treating God and others with the utmost respect, and you are not failing in any way in this, you are treating God with the respect He deserves, and others around you with the respect they deserve. I beg you to pray for me and the rest of us folks who are not tonight during this invitation, because we need your prayers. And I think it's just awesome. I don't know how you got there, but praise the Lord for it. But if, like me, you know that you have not shown God and others the respect that He demands and deserves, won't you join me tonight in prayer and make a commitment to do so As we breathe new life into respect. Father God, thank you. Thank you that we have been given the honor and the privilege of being in your house here at Teresa once again. Thank you that we gather here tonight, not as separate churches in one building, but as the church in your house. Father, I pray that you bless every single person that defied the odds to come on out to Revival on a Tuesday evening. Now bless them. May the words I have spoken be what you are pleased with in order that their hearts might be turned more towards you. Forgive us for where we failed you because, God, I know as a whole we have. I have. So, Father, I pray that we would breathe new life not only into righteousness, not only into restraint, but tonight into respect as we claim back this nation that should be yours Father, move in this place tonight in this invitation according to your words and not mine. And I pray it in the precious name of Jesus. Amen.